Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Regularly listening to Luke's English podcast can definitely help your English, uh, but uh, don't forget you should also be doing lots of speaking practice too. And if you're looking for people to speak to, then why not check out italki, where you can find loads and loads of native speakers and professional teachers who are waiting to talk to you and give you lessons. Um, go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk to get started, and you'll be able to check out lots of different teachers, check out their promo videos, and find out about their qualifications and things like that. Uh, then when you're happy, choose a person. You can have a trial lesson if you want at a discounted price. And when you're happy, when you've found the right person, buy some English lessons with them and you can do the entire thing from the comfort of your own home over the internet using Skype. It's amazing. Um, and if you use my URL, teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk, then italki will give you a, a voucher worth 100 italki credits off your next purchase, which is not bad at all. So get speaking, push your English further with some speaking practice uh, and use italki to do it. Now, Let's start this new episode, and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. I hope you're doing all right there. Uh, as you listen to this. Um, this is part two of a two-part episode in which I'm talking about my recent holiday in Thailand. Uh, my wife and I visited Thailand and had a holiday there for a couple of weeks just at the end of August this year. And in this episode, I'm just telling you a few things about uh, what we did and what we saw while we were there. Uh, so this is part two. Um, I hope that you've already listened to part one. If you haven't listened to part one yet, then I suggest you go back and listen to that. It's just the previous episode of this podcast. So that was episode what? Number 377. So go back and listen if you haven't already done so. Uh, if you have already listened to part one, um, then uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that it sort of made you laugh a little bit. Um, part one did get a little bit rude in places. You may have noticed there, there were a couple of uh, rude stories and a slightly dodgy joke. Um, I, I told you about a couple of embarrassing and slightly difficult experiences that I had uh, during the holiday. And there was that uh, dodgy joke at the end of the episode two, as well as some cultural details about Thailand itself, including some things that you might not know about the country. Um, but you might have noticed that I was trying to make you laugh a bit, quite frankly, um, as well as just explaining about the holiday. I was also choosing to tell you little stories in order to try and make you laugh a bit. Um, and uh, I hope that you did find it funny in places. Some people left some comments on the website expressing just how much uh, the previous episode made them laugh. Uh, for example, I got a comment from Yasmin who said, ha 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 ha, this is such a funny episode. I was laughing out loud in the metro and everyone thought I was crazy. 
Really great. Thanks, Luke. Well, thanks for the comment, Yasmin. In fact, this is becoming um, sort of a, a running theme here, isn't it? That uh, I, I get lots of comments like that. Lots of people tell me that they listen to the podcast on public transport and they can't help laughing out loud. They can't stop sniggering or giggling or bursting out laughing while they're listening to this, which um, is, you know, that's half of what I'm trying to achieve here. If I can make you laugh on public transport and help you to improve your English, then mission accomplished, basically. You could boil down my aims and objectives for this for this podcast into probably those two things. Help people improve their English and make them embarrassed because they can't stop laughing in public. Um, it seems that lots of people experience this and that may be my, my favourite type of comment that I receive, which is, you know, I love listening to your podcast. I couldn't stop laughing and everyone thought I was insane, uh, which is great. You know, I, it, I'm very happy to be making you embarrassed in public. Um, I'm very pleased about that because, you know, I tell you embarrassing stories about things that I end up doing. I make a fool of myself on the podcast all the time. So um, I think it's fair that I share some embarrassment with you. And then as a result, you experience some embarrassment for your, for yourself. I think that it just gives the whole podcast a slightly more visceral uh, uh, kick to it, don't you think? Um, yes. So that was from Yasmin. I got another comment yesterday from Iwona and she said, Hello, Luke. Um, hilarious episode. And of course, a great one. I was laughing out loud while roller skating. Everybody was looking at me like a crazy woman, but it was worth listening despite that. Um, so, well, two things in that comment. The first one, that uh, she was laughing out loud and everyone thought she was a crazy person, which again, mission accomplished there. But also that Iwona was listening while roller skating. And I think that's the first time I've heard of someone listening to this podcast while roller skating. It's normal that people listen to the podcast when they're doing other things. The most normal thing, uh, the, the most normal things are traveling in some way, like driving or uh, or walking or jogging or taking the train or something. Uh, but I've never, ever heard of a person roller skating while listening to this podcast. So um, I'm, I'm very chuffed. I'm absolutely chuffed about that. Chuffed, that means pleased. Um, so yeah, I'm very glad that you enjoyed it and that it made you laugh out loud in public and that you, as a result, uh, got embarrassed by that. Uh, now you know how it feels uh, for me being embarrassed as well in, uh, in the last episode, for example. Now, um, I'm going to carry on in this episode with just a few more descriptions of things that happened in Thailand. If you are thinking of going on holiday to Thailand, then I would recommend it. Um, a couple of weeks is probably enough to see and do lots of things. Um, Thailand has a reliable tourist infrastructure, which means it's not too difficult to find accommodation or transportation. Uh, there are plenty of places to eat good food. There are lots of diverse activities and cultural things to see, such as temples, arts and crafts, uh, cooking lessons, night markets, beaches, snorkeling, scuba diving, trekking, kayaking, yoga and meditation. Uh, they have the sea, they have the city and the hills and the forests. It's a diverse and friendly place and a top place to go for a holiday, which can be both adventurous and laid back and also quite sweaty. Because as we established in part one of this, um, sweating is a central feature of a, of a trip to Thailand, especially for me, um, being the English man that I am. Um, I, I'm, I'm comfortable when the ambient temperature is in the 20s. 
You know, once it goes above 30, then it starts to get uncomfortably hot. And certainly when the humidity levels are high, then, you know, I'm, I'm basically um, I'm kind of melting, I suppose, is the, the best way of describing it. So um, you shouldn't remember that at all times. Uh, I don't know if you want to. In fact, that's probably not a very pleasant thing to think about, is it? Me uh, sweating. Well, just imagine me having a very good time uh, and mopping my brow uh, quite a lot. Okay, uh, so yes, my wife and I had a great time in Thailand, and so now I'm going to talk to you more about some of the things and other highlights from the rest of our trip, including a few more little stories and anecdotes and things. So, um, contents. So first, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about cultural visits in and around Bangkok. Uh, I will tell you a couple of dodgy jokes which I came up with during the holiday, and which just have to be told because I don't know what else I'm going to do with them, so I have to tell them on the podcast, even though they are, as you'll see, not exactly premium uh, gold standard, but what the hell, it doesn't matter, it's a free podcast, you're getting your money's worth, aren't you? Yes. Um, I'm going to talk to you about Chiang Mai in the north, learning how to cook Thai food, um, a conversation that I had with a monk. So I sat down with a monk for about half an hour and talked to him about life, the universe and everything. And uh, it was quite interesting. So I'm going to talk to you about what he said. So we'll find out what do you think this monk will say about uh, being a monk and the life of a Buddhist monk and, uh, you know, what it means to pursue um, the sort of path to a higher level of, of consciousness Sounds very deep. Um, uh, Well, you can find out what the monk said to me in this episode. Uh, And then in the third part of our holiday, we went down south to Koh Samui, an island. uh, And um, I'll talk to you about that, including the details of this thing we did, which was to join a yoga retreat. Uh, A yoga retreat is a bit like a kind of camp where you stay there, you eat there, and you do yoga there. Um, So not something that I'd ever done before. Um, I'll talk to you about that. I expected it to be peaceful and relaxing, but in fact, it was more like a punishing fitness regime in brutally high temperatures. So I'll talk to you about that as well. And then at the end, there'll be some mouse news as well. Uh, Mouse news. That's for people who listened to the episode I did before the holiday. Um, I talked to you about a little mouse story. Well, there's a mouse update coming at the end of the episode. All right, then. So let's go back to um, my trip to to Thailand. And when I last left uh, this story, we were still in Bangkok, this crazy city, very busy place, lots of traffic and stuff like that. Um, So Bangkok. Now, there are a few things to do in in Bangkok, a few main tourist attractions. Three of the main things that people go and see are uh, some of the temples, basically. So there's the Grand Palace. uh, There's a temple called Wat Pho. And there's another one called Wat Aron. And these are, you know, beautiful looking buildings, very impressive buildings with uh, these... um, uh, like uh, amazingly decorated features and things like that, or bright shining towers and all sorts of other things. The Grand Palace is where the royal family have their uh, their house, and that's where they stay. But there's also lots of old traditional buildings around it, including uh, these amazing temples with the sloping roofs, and there are incredible images uh, around the walls inside the, the, the palace area, which... Uh, depict stories from the life of Buddha and there are these incredible paintings and drawings and things on the walls. It's fascinating to walk around and look at these intricate drawings and try to understand what what it all means. Um, There are many, many images of Buddhas everywhere, which obviously is a very sort of sacred uh, symbol in in the life of um, um, Buddhism 
and there are gold ones and emerald green ones and ones of different colors covered in uh, different types of gold um, and things like that and uh, large uh, statues of Buddha either sitting or in a lying down position um, really 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 uh, wonderful and beautiful to to visit and many hours were spent walking around these sites uh, just checking out the local culture now I I remember when I went to Cambodia and I visited um, uh, Angkor Wat and various other temples in the area, I remember that uh, there were lots of stories and narratives about um, uh, the design of those temples. For example, the way that there was always a snake. I think the name of the snake is Nara. There was always a snake that went around the temple. There was usually a water-filled moat that would go around the temple. And that was then uh, surrounded by a wall which featured this long snake, which was called Nara. And I understood that Nara was the protector of the, the temple. And there are all these different aspects of symbolism and different characters that come from, I guess, like Hinduism as well as Buddhism. And um, a lot of it sort of explained the origin of uh, existence according to that story. Now, in Thailand, I didn't really find um, similar stories, but I saw a lot of the same imagery, including characters like Garuda, who is this sort of eagle man. He's like half man, half eagle. And you see Garuda in different positions, the snake Nara, and also the image of Buddha and all these other things. And yet, I'd never really got a, a, a sort of a full overview of this, the um, significance of these images and how it all tied together. It was also interesting to me that um, there were a combination of Buddhist uh, images and Hindu images, and somehow the two things sort of became fused together to an extent. And I think that it might be... Um, the fact that Hinduism and Buddhism managed to find a mutual relationship, one in which, you know, they didn't have to sort of fight against each other or try to destroy each other or compete with each other. Instead, they sort of made this joint venture, as it were, in which the two sort of combined and and it worked together. So that's how you get this slightly odd uh, combination of Hindu uh, images and Buddhist images and how they managed to combine but I never really got a full narrative of you know how all that happened and walking around uh, the temples and looking at the images and looking at these these uh, frescoes these well these kind of paintings or etchings on the walls um, I did sort of wonder about the narrative so there's still stuff I don't really understand and I'd love to know more about the official kind of history and origin story if you like of um of the religion and the sacred buildings in that area. Um, so um, still really beautiful to look at, especially things like the reclining Buddha, who is this golden Buddha lying in a in a reclining position. Uh, and the reclining Buddhas, I understand, are quite uh, sort of unique to Thailand, and they're like symbols of Thailand. Um, beautiful amazing um and definitely worth looking at it obviously it was very hot when we were walking around these temples and we got boiled to a crisp um as usual um now i've got a ter- i've got a couple of terrible jokes for you just before this just becomes a, a dull um description of things i did and saw instead i'm going to tell you a terrible joke now 
those of you out there who are fans of the rubbish jokes, you're going to be happy. Um, I'll let you decide whether this is up there with the absolute classics. Classics? The classics like the Russian joke, for example. Anyway, while we were walking around the temple of Wat Fo, uh, and that's what it's called, Wat Fo, okay? While we were walking around, this joke came to me, and I'm not going to do anything else with it, so it has to go into this podcast. So Wat Fo is the temple of the reclining Buddha. Uh, It's brilliant, right, as I said, but the name Wat Fo sounds to me like a question, especially if you say it in a kind of hip-hop black American gangster kind of accent. Wat fo. Wat fo. Because wat fo is a bit like the way a kind of uh, uh, a a rapper or something would say what for, okay? Meaning why. Wat wat fo, okay? Uh, Like, for example, um, you know, I went went into London yesterday. Yo, wat fo? Because I needed to do some clothes shopping. All right. Now that obviously that's not the joke. I'm just establishing that what for can also mean what for or why. All right then. Okay. Now you're ready. Here's the joke. So um, this joke goes in a. It's like a statement, and another person asks a question, and then the response to that question is the punchline. All right. So here we go. So I visited the temple of the reclining Buddha in Bangkok, and the other person says what for, and then. Uh, you say, yeah, just because I thought it would be an interesting thing to see. All right, that didn't work at all, did it? I just, I visited the temple of the reclining Buddha in Bangkok. What foe? Just because I thought it would be an interesting thing to see. Okay, not the, not the strongest joke ever, so I'm going to move on to the next one. We also went to another place, which is just about an hour's drive away from Bangkok, and that's called Ayutthaya. Ayutthaya, which is the former capital and is now a place with loads of impressive old temples and archaeological sites. There are more temples and amazing things to see in this area than there are in, like, you know, hundreds of square miles of the rest of the country. It's like this place where there's just loads of temples and you can go there and do the whole day looking at temples and walking around sweating. It's brilliant, okay? It was extremely fascinating and brilliant uh, to walk around, but we walked around all day and we got extremely hot and tired. And then I came up with this joke, all right? So bear in mind that the name of the town is Ayutthaya. 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 All right, so... So, I visited the ancient capital of Thailand the other day. Are you tired? Yes, I'm absolutely exhausted. I visited the ancient capital of Thailand today. Are you tired? Yeah, I'm absolutely exhausted. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Are you tired? Sounds a bit like, are you tired? Mm, Okay, again, not the strongest joke ever. But come on, come on, people. It's not that bad. Um, anyway, are you tired or are you tired? And Wat Pho were beautiful things to to visit. Now, after a few days in in Bangkok, uh, we um, travelled up to Chiang Mai in the north, and um, so Chiang Mai is like another sort of cultural centre, and it used to be the capital of the northern part of of Thailand for many years, and it's got long history, and. Um, these days, the city is kind of, it's basically square. It's like the, the old city is in this square um, area. So there's a, an ancient wall that goes around it with a moat around that. And then inside there are loads of things like, first of all, again, more temples and beautiful temples to visit, including one which is completely covered in silver. The whole temple is silver. There's another one that's completely gold. You know, these amazing bling bling 
temples to look at. But also inside there are loads of shops and markets and sort of places to get massages and interesting restaurants and things like that. And also shops selling local arts and crafts and things. So uh, Chiang Mai is a great place to walk around and get a bit of culture. You know, it's a good place to get culture. And you can take trips out as well because Ayutai is uh, not Ayutai, Chiang Mai is sort of in the hilly area in the north and there are forests and hills nearby. So you can take day trips out and go trekking in the forest and you can go and see the elephants and stuff like that, hang out with the elephants a little bit, uh, that sort of thing. So we spent most of our time in Chiang Mai walking around the streets doing markets and stuff like that. So they have these things at night called walking streets. Walking streets are basically night markets and you kind of walk up and down and all of the local traders have... um, uh, opened up market stalls all the way up and down the street and they're there selling all the usual stuff. They're selling to tourists mainly. Um, the tourists that were there were a few European tourists and also some Asian tourists as well. Lots of Chinese tourists in Thailand as well as European people. Um, and, uh, you know, loads of market stalls, all the usual things that you would expect to find, like, um, I guess, sort of like uh, uh t-shirts you know copied from other companies like you know sort of fake t-shirts and things and stuff made of wood and like you know elephants made out of jade and bells and spices and uh uh products made out of coconut oil and things like that just stall after stall after stall lots of food as well lots of weird and wonderful things being cooked on barbecues like uh, skewers with insects on them big piles of grasshoppers and piles of uh insect larvae being cooked and you can eat them i chose not to eat any because i've already i've already in investigated the insect uh uh type of food i've eaten insects before in japan i ate greek uh, i ate grasshoppers which like you know those little bugs that sort of um they rub their legs together and they make noise and they live in the grass and if you try and catch them they jump in the air you know those things so i ate a few of them and to be honest they just tasted like prawns or shrimps uh but the thing is that the legs get you see the legs get stuck between your teeth so uh, i wasn't really in a rush to try them again but they don't taste that bad apparently insect as food insects are the future of food um that's another story for another time anyway beautiful walking streets and as we were walking through i thought to myself if if I was here, if I if I lived here and I had a market stall here, what I would do is I would sell ties. You know, ties that men wear when they go to work. That you wear it around your neck. A tie. I would sell ties. I'd have loads of different ties, and I'd call my stand Thailand. Yeah. Um, again, you know, that's just a rubbish joke. But um, um, anyway, it was very interesting to look around. Uh, one of the coolest things that we did there was take a cooking class. Um, and that's where you learn how to teach. Uh, teach? No, you learn how to cook some different types of Thai food. And um, so we learned how to cook different types of curry. And that was one of the best things. Honestly, if you go to Thailand, do a cooking class. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a lot more fun than you would imagine. And they basically, first of all, take you around the garden where a lot of the... Uh, 
uh, herbs and spices and vegetables and things are, co- are are grown and they sort of like harvest a few of the things and you can investigate the different uh, ingredients that are the basis of, of Thai cuisine and you know you've got things like garlic and chili and turmeric and uh, Thai uh, ginger and uh, various other things um, and uh, and then you go around the market. They take you around the market, and, and you see all the different foodstuffs that uh, are the basis of, of the, the the dishes they cook. And then they take you back into the kitchen, and everyone has their own little chopping board. And you choose the the dishes that you'd like to make. And I, I chose to make a sort of a, a, a chicken and cashew nut and chili uh, dish to start with, like a sort of a, a stir fry with chili and chicken and cashew nuts. And then I made a Massaman curry, which is a sort of a dark uh, red curry. I think it's influenced by Indian curries. And you first of all make a curry paste, and then you kind of fry it up with all these different ingredients, and you make your own rice and stuff like that. Um, and um, it's it, it's just really good fun. So to kind of give you an idea of how uh, I made the Massaman curry, uh, one of the first things you do is you have to make a curry paste. And that involves, first of all, chopping up a bunch of things like garlic and turmeric and some other ingredients that I can't remember now. They did actually give us a recipe recipe book at the end, which is cool. I'll have to use it again, even though I can't find all of those ingredients in, in Paris. But um, you chop up all that stuff and then you, you have to chop up a, loads and loads of red chilies, like loads of them. And then you have to use what's known as a, uh, um, a pestle and mortar, which is um, like a little bowl with a, a kind of a club thing and you hold the club in one hand and the bowl in the other and you use it to mash or crush things okay so for example if you're it, they use it in medicine or they used to and that's how you crush up pills you know in like a little pot uh, and similarly you can do that with herbs and, and other things in the kitchen so you crush up all of the all of the red chili and all the garlic and all the the, the um uh what's it called now uh ginger and turmeric and other little bits like lime that they, they take some uh of the rind from a lime and you mash that up as well and it all gets pulped into this um paste which is then becomes like a little ball and you take a certain amount of paste when you're making your curry and the more paste you use in the mix the the spicier it is and I chose to have my spiciness as like the top level of spiciness because I thought I'm I'm a tough guy. I, I eat spicy food. I love very strong curries. I'm going to go for the top level of spiciness. Um, and uh, we were with a, a group of other girls. They were from um, the Netherlands. And I guess it's not normal for them to eat spicy food. We also had an American girl on my left and she was very nice. And we were talking to her about this stuff. And I was like, what are you going to do? How much uh, chili are you going to put in? And she was like, I think I'm going to do what you're doing. And she started to kind of big it up, like big up how um, how much she eats chili back home and how she can take loads of chili. And she was like, yeah, you know, we just always have like green chili on the table back home. We put green chili into everything we eat. So, you know, I've got like really high resistance to, to chili. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, really? Um, thinking that she was like the sort of ch- the green chili master, you know. And uh, so we made our stuff and then we started eating it. Everyone's heads exploded. 
with the chili, except for my wife, because she's clever. She knew that she shouldn't have put she shouldn't put too much stuff in, so she didn't. She loved it. Uh, I was again bright red and hallucinating and pouring with sweat because of the chili content, but loving it. And everyone else, the 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 girls from the Netherlands, uh, were bright red and ready to pass out. You know, they were like, "Oh my god!" and are drinking loads of water, which you shouldn't do apparently when you have. Um, a lot of spice in your mouth. You shouldn't drink water. You need to drink. You need to eat bread. Apparently, that's what I've learned. Also, yogurt helps. Uh, and the girl, the American girl on my left, who'd been going on it about how much chili she ate, she couldn't finish her dish, and uh, it, her mouth uh, apparently was burning so much that she couldn't even finish her dish. And so I triumphantly finished mine, feeling uh, feeling like the champion. Although it wasn't even even a competition, the end result though was that the food the food was amazing and it was one of the most delicious meals that we uh, had there. Um, and it was just fascinating to be able to see how the stuff is made and how it's all put together and the the fresh, vibrant ingredients and stuff. Delicious, absolutely delicious. Um, so also while we were there in Chiang Mai, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, we had a chat with a monk and there are some temples where you can go and at certain times the monks will be sitting around and you can go and sit down with them and you can talk to them and many of them speak English. In fact, they're quite happy to talk to you because uh, it provides them with uh, free English conversations. So one of these monks uh, at one of the temples got to have half an hour of English conversation with me and basically I quizzed him well, I didn't quiz him. I, I cross-examined him or I interviewed him about um, being a Buddhist monk and what that meant. And on the way to the temple, I was thinking, this is going to be fascinating. I'm going to find all of the secrets in the universe. He's going to tell me about life, the universe and everything. He's going to give me the answer to why we're here and what it's all about. This is going to be deep and meaningful. That's what I was thinking. Um, but actually, he was not that profound, uh, surprisingly enough. I expected him to be a lot more profound and he wasn't really that profound, in fact. So my wife and I sat down and talked to him and some of our questions were things like, so why did you choose to become a monk? And he's, his answer to that was basically, it's just a, a, it's just a more simple life, frankly. Like the, it's, it's very simple to be a monk. You don't have to worry about all the other things that people worry about. You just focus on your your routine and your meditation and your, your schoolwork. And it really kind of makes your life pretty straightforward and simple. And I was like, okay, so it's a practical choice rather than a spiritual one. All right, interesting. And then I said to him, so where are you in, in terms of your your progression as a monk? Because I guess the aim of what you're trying to do is you're trying to get into Nirvana, right? Um, not the band, as we established in the previous episode. Not the band. No, you're trying to attain Nirvana. You're trying to get to Nirvana, which is like this ultimate state of consciousness. And I said to him, so do you feel like you're making progress? Do you feel like after four years of being a monk, does it feel like you've made made progress? Are you a different person to who you were before? And he was like, no, not not really. I'm basically the same person. And I was like, uh, okay, and, and uh, do you feel like you've made progress? And he said, well, it's hard to say, really. I was like, okay, great, very deep and meaningful. I was surprised by how sort of, yeah, how unprofound he was. He was. Um, what else did I ask him? 
I asked him things like, why do, the, why do monks wear orange robes? And he said, in the city, the monks wear the bright orange robes because uh, they are more visible. So, for example, uh, it's just safer. You can see the monks more easily and they're just a bit more visible. Whereas in the countryside, the, the, the robes they wear are a darker colour orange, which apparently is just because of the, the, the dyes that they had available to them. So it's just they colour the robes like that because just that's the dye that they had for that colour. And in the city, they're brighter just to be more visible. So I was kind of surprised that he didn't, you know, blow my mind uh, more than more than he did. Now, I think that I've got some... I, I think I've got at least one Buddhist monk who listens to this podcast. In fact, I've seen on things like Facebook and pictures from comments on my website that uh, some people listening to this are monks. And in fact, you know, there are lots of uh, uh, Buddhist monks who dress in the robes and who study and things like that uh, in Thailand and, and other countries who, no doubt, will also be online and, and listening to these things. So, um if you are a Buddhist monk or if you know about these things, then I'd love to read more about your religion and what it's like to be a Buddhist monk. So questions that I I asked the one I spoke to were, as I said, what, what why did you choose to become a Buddhist monk? Um, and um, do you feel like you've made progress? And uh, what's the aim of what you're doing? Um, and also, do you have a, do you have like, do you have any answers? Do you, do you have answers as to what this is all about and why we're here and and uh, and where we come from? I did ask the, the monk that. I said to him, um, most other religions have a story that aims to explain where we come from, the origin of the universe. Does, does Buddhism have an origin story for the universe? And he said, no, not really. It's just like the scientific explanation. It's a bit like the Big Bang, he said. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that's true. I think that in Buddhism there must be some sort of creation story, but I, I'm I might be wrong. Um, also, I'd like to know about the origin of of Buddha himself and uh, sort of who was Buddha, what is it that he did, why is he he sort of um, uh, why are there symbols of Buddha uh, in in these sacred places and things like that. I'd like to know more. Um, so. After our time at uh, Chiang Mai, we then ventured south to one of the islands, and we went to the island of Koh Samui, which um, these days is quite a well-developed place with some hotels and and different buildings. There's a huge tourist infrastructure there, Um, and honestly, some of those places are not that charming to be honest like um essentially whenever you get the beach uh, uh, in a in a hot country somewhere in the world eventually you will get european people coming to uh spend time on a holiday on that beach and it's when the europeans arrive like for example when all the english tourists arrive and they build up an infrastructure around them that things start to get a bit cheap and nasty and english tourists i mean I, you know i'll put my hand up as an english person that the tourists from our from my country are just as responsible for this as any other country. And you end up with these sort of dodgy bars where basically sort of everything is just like it is back home, except you're in a hot country with a, with beaches. Also, there's that sort of tech, the, 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 the sex tourism angle uh, as well. And we saw lots of bars where there were these girls hanging around outside and they're, they're advertised as massage parlours, although all the windows are blacked out, so you can't actually see inside. And these girls are hanging around 
uh, being very suggestive and it's it's all a bit dodgy. And in fact, we sat down for a meal in one of the towns in Koh Samui next to a road. And during the meal, I counted all of the single white Western guys on scooters that I saw riding around. So something like every minute, at least once a minute, a, a, a white guy on a scooter would drive past on his own. And I was kind of thinking, who are all these single white men on scooters in this town on, you know, on holiday on their own? What are they doing? What's this all about? So that was a bit seedy and a little bit dodgy, I felt. Um, although other parts of the island are absolutely beautiful and have a lot to offer. Um, but after one night in a town called Lamai, um, we um, went down to this place in the south of the island, which is a yoga retreat. And um, so we had decided, in fact, we'd already booked five days at this yoga retreat at the end of our holiday. Now, um, uh, my wife and I are not big time yoga people. We don't do yoga all the time. Uh, But every now and then we do do some and we try to do it fairly regularly if we can fit it into our lifestyles. Now, um, I've never talked about yoga on the podcast before. Um, I am, I'm not a mad fan of yoga, but um, I do do it and I do kind of get into it while I'm doing it. I mean, really, I probably prefer the more competitive games like football and things like that, or, and even rock climbing to yoga. But I do think that it's got a hell of a lot of stuff to offer. I think it's a brilliant form of um, sort of both therapy, meditation and exercise all at the same time. Now, you must know what yoga is, of course. You know, it's you do all these different stretches and you push your body into different positions and there are different types of yoga. It can be more peaceful and meditative and also more uh, physically strenuous and active. And we did a range of different types of yoga while we were there. Um, but uh, you might think, did you, you booked into a yoga retreat? Whoa, that's kind of a bit different. Um well, it was my wife's idea at first. She was like, hey, man, let's do a yoga, let's do a yoga retreat. Because that's how we speak to each other, isn't it? Hey, let's, do a, let's do a yoga retreat. And I was like, you want to do a yoga retreat? She's like, yeah, I want to do a yoga retreat. And I was like, um, okay. She convinced me. Um, and then I thought, actually, that would be pretty nice. Because life in Paris is pretty stressful. We live in this busy big city where there's all the usual stresses and strains of normal life and you know I get a bit stressed out sometimes and then so the idea of spending five days doing uh, yoga and meditation in this peaceful location eating vegetarian food every day and generally having this sort of uh, general kind of detox from everything was very attractive, actually. So that was the the kind of basis for for us going there, that it would be a chance to kind of reset and relax properly in this no-stress environment, in this kind of healthy place uh, for five days, and then go back to, to Paris and carry on with normal life again. So I was expecting it to be relaxing and all peaceful and tranquil and everything. Uh, in fact, it wasn't quite as relaxing and peaceful as I imagined. In fact, it was a little bit more of a punishing exercise regime. Um, and it involved these very early starts, uh, not just yoga, but also different types of fitness um, and exercise and things like that. Um, so, in fact, there was, a, there was a schedule for every day. And the day, some of the days started at 6.30 in the morning. 
Uh, others started at seven in the morning. So it's a very early start. I've got the schedule here somewhere for the activities every day. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna have a look at it and and read it to you. Okay. So I've got the uh, I've got the daily uh, sh- schedule here, and this is the course that's called Yoga Core cycle yoga core cycle which is where it's a combination between three things doing yoga and meditation uh doing core training that's where you do work and training on your core which is kind of like all the muscles in the center of your body like your abdominal muscles and other things like that it's like the you know that kind of stuff where you lie down and you lift your legs up and you lift your arms up and after about 10 seconds it's incredibly painful in your stomach and in your legs and things like that we did loads and loads of that kind of thing and there was um a circuit training different types of circuit training where you have to go around a circuit doing different punishing exercises in a row so there was the the yoga and stuff the core training and then cycling you know basically spin class they have these uh uh, bicycle exercise machines and uh, every day you get on the bikes and there's music and you kind of you know go through this sort of cycling routine where you have to go up and down hills and it's really hard work so the the kind of chilled out yoga meditation uh, training camp was actually more of a punishing sort of exercise regime um, so let me go through let me go through a typical day here um so let's start with Sunday, for example. Sunday, the day that you would imagine would be a chilled out day where you sit around, maybe have a big fried breakfast or something and don't generally do nothing, right? Well, no, um, at uh, the yoga camp on Sunday, it starts at 7 a.m. And from 7 o'clock until 7.25, you have silent cycle, which is basically a cycling class, but with no music. So you still have to do all of the punish- punishing hill climbs uh, that you would normally do in, in a cycling class, but um, with uh, no music. Now, it's only 25 minutes, but bearing in mind that you've just woken up and you haven't had breakfast, it's quite a weird way to begin the day. And that's when, on most typical days, I would start sweating. Now, bear in mind that I was already sweating anyway, just from walking to the uh, our accommodation to the training area, I was already pouring sweat. But imagine then getting on an exercise bike and doing 25 minutes of, of cycle training. Um, yeah, that's right. It was just pouring sweat off me. I'm, su- I'm surprised that I still exist because um, the amount of liquid which left my body, um, I'm surprised I didn't just dry up completely and just turn into like a little crab and crawl off into the sea um, because that's how much I nearly sweated all the moisture out of my body to the point where I shrunk down into the size of a little crab. Luckily, that didn't happen. I mean, I kept rehydrating. I was drinking buckets and buckets of water constantly all the time and then just immediately sweating it straight out. It was like just an, a running tap, just like keep the water coming in and keep it flowing out. I mean, I definitely detoxed. I got must have flushed out all of the crap from my system, just flushed it all out with all that water and sweating. So first of all, si- silent cycle. Uh, and you know you, they they make you cycle up hills and they you, they they make you push up the resistance on your bike and you stand up on the bike and you're like struggling and struggling and you th- you know you think your legs are going to fall off and you you know they go oh I thought I was going to be on holiday I thought this was going to be a holiday why am I doing this why am I cycling why am I using all my energy on cycling and I'm not going anywhere that's always 
mystified me a little bit about going to the gym, that you get on this machine and you're using all this energy and yet you're not going anywhere. You're not even doing anything. It seems a bit pointless, like people running on running machines, all that electricity being used to simulate running. Why don't you just go running? Or at least why don't we convert the energy into electricity or something you know we could use these all these people using electrical cycling machines and stuff we can't we convert that into electricity anyway it seems a bit silly but anyway you just keep your head down and you keep pushing forwards and eventually you know you finish it and you you nearly die but you survive and you feel healthier and you continue so seven o'clock to seven twenty-five, silent cycle then at seven thirty until eight ten, you have meditation and breath work Ah, and sweating. Meditation, breath work and sweating. Silent sweating. Uh, and that's where you um, you go up to the yoga area and you put your yoga mat down and you sit down in the, um, in the cross-legged position. You know, you take that position and often, depending on the yoga instructor, you'll do some chanting. You'll chant a few mantras at the beginning. Um, and I, to be honest, I've never really understood that because I didn't know what the mantras were. We had one instructor who would lead us through a good 30 seconds of chanting. She'd be chanting something we had to repeat after her. And I could never understand what it was she was saying or, or remember the words she was saying. It was really embarrassing, to be honest. So she'd be like, and, and everyone's kind of going, mm-hmm, I don't know the words. You know, when you're in public, it could be in church or something, and suddenly you're, you're obliged to sing in public and you don't know the music and you don't know the words and you just have to kind of sort of vaguely try and follow what what's being said it was like that every time we had to do these these chants so everyone's like that was a bit embarrassing and then you're led through different sort of meditation and breathing exercises and without being cynical without trying to be funny and stuff like that it was actually really great and very positive and helpful and it really helps to bring clarity and sort of calm and it helps you reflect on everything. And I'm sure that just even just 10 to 20 minutes a day of sitting in the right position and breathing properly and focusing your mind on just one thing uh, with, you know, uh, without letting anything else invade your thoughts, just focusing your mind on almost nothing or focusing your mind on certain positive or constructive uh, ideas um, for 20, 20 minutes without thinking about anything else, that is actually very healthy and very useful. And I think that if I did that every day, I'd be, um, I think I'd probably just be a lot healthier and a lot more productive in my life. And going through all those, those exercises and stuff, just as you know, I was doing lots of physical exercise and sort of uh, flushing out a lot of toxins from my body. But the mental stuff the meditation and breathing actually helped to flush out a lot of memories and problems from my mind as well so I found it actually really calming and peaceful even if at times the cynical part of me was wondering about all of the mystical parts that I didn't really uh, understand but that was meditation and breath work 
and that went on until eight, uh, 10 past 8. Bear in mind that breakfast still hasn't happened yet. So then from 8.15 to 8.45, you get half an hour of core foundations, which is the stuff that really kills me. For example, we did one uh, where there's this circuit created, and the first thing you have to do is you, you crawl. You have to sort of crawl on your feet, hands and feet without letting your knees touch the ground, so leaping with your hands first and letting your feet follow like that. Um, you kind of have to go around like that all the time. And after a while, you find that your stomach is burning. You know, it's like really hurting the muscles in your stomach and your legs um, and your shoulders. So you have to kind of go around. It really works on your core. So you kind of uh, monkey up to the end of the room, monkey back again. And then you put your feet in these hanging things. So they have like these things that hang down, these sort of uh, straps that hang down from the ceiling. And you put your feet in them. And then you have to take the plank position while your feet are in the straps. And you do press-ups. Or you take the plank position and you you lift the, the feet towards you, bending your legs under your body. And all of this stuff is like really working all the core muscles. But it's also like incredibly painful and uncomfortable. And it makes you really, really hot. And of course, I was sweating everywhere. I sweated all over all the equipment. I had to take a towel with me to clean it all off. And then you have to crawl over to the other part of the room. And you have these medicine balls, which are like these heavy soft balls they're larger than basketballs and they're heavy and they're soft and you have to for example uh, sit down and lift the the ball up into the air throw it up catch it take it down uh, lift it over to one side lift it over to the other side lift it up again throw it and you know you do like 10 or 20 of those movements and then you crawl back over to somewhere else and you do something else and after half an hour of that you know your whole body's in agony and you're pouring with sweat again um, and so for five days of uh, that's only the that's only the first part of the morning after doing that you then do more yoga and the there's about an hour of yoga after that and that's where you get into the more serious stuff where you're taking these difficult positions and lots of complicated stretching and and all that sort of thing so that's just the morning then you have breakfast so all of that stuff before breakfast um and then there's to be honest there's quite a long period in the middle of the day where you just have free time and invariably you'd end up back in your accommodation sleeping because uh, it's been an early morning and you're pretty tired so there's a lot of sleeping and lounging around in the middle of the day which was great and uh, we spent a lot of time lying around reading and just generally being sort of calm and relaxed and then it all kicks off again uh, after you have a bit of lunch and the, the lunch and the breakfast and dinners are all provided and they're all absolutely delicious. We had some fantastic food in Thailand, but some of this food at the retreat was just the best and it was all vegetarian with ex- with the exception of a couple of fish uh, dishes. Everything was vegetarian. A lot of it was vegan and it was it felt incredibly healthy and clean and everything. And at the end of the meal, we would drink like tea made of mint leaves and lime juice and stuff. It was just like a really wholesome, healthy thing to do for five days. Um, and so, yeah, after breakfast and lunch, you start again at four o'clock with more of that core stuff, you know, working on your core Um and then more cycling class, then more yoga. And you would do restorative yoga in the afternoon, which was a lot less physically taxing than the yoga in the morning. Because restorative yoga is all about lying in certain positions and breathing 
uh, and holding the position for a long period of time. Essentially, for me, uh, restorative yoga was a lot like just lying around on the floor for about an hour in the evening, which was just wonderful. I mean, it's imagine that organized lying around, lying around on the floor as part of an organized program. It's amazing. So, and you have these different sort of yoga objects, like these soft boxes and like cushions and things, and you place them under your body and you sort of lie back with your arms outstretched and your legs stretched and things like that. Um, so loads of that, like every day. Okay, so that program every single day. Now, after three days, for both of us, we were in a lot of physical pain and discomfort, legs hurting, stomach muscles hurting, arms, shoulders, every part of the body was aching and in pain. And yet you'd still get back and do more cycling and do more core foundation work and more yoga stuff. And after five days, we just felt really healthy and really in really good condition and it was just wonderful peaceful in mind and healthy in body really really great um there was no beer at all at the retreat no alcohol no smoking allowed um so it was a complete detox from that uh i was worried it would be i was concerned that it was going to be boring you know, I was concerned that there wouldn't be much fun, that people would be taking it too seriously and stuff. But actually, we met some really, really nice people there, including uh, a lovely German lady called Doris, who was a lot of fun. And she, we hung out with her. And Doris was an inter- is an interesting character. She, um, uh, she does Muay Thai, which is like a sort of Thai traditional martial art. And also she's a complete fitness freak and she does loads of CrossFit training all the time. So she was like super, uh, super sort of exercise woman. And also doing Muay Thai fighting meant that she was able to do all sorts of fancy kicks and punches, which she delighted in telling me about. Uh, She kept telling me that she could kick me in the head. um, uh, And I believed her, you know, I didn't ask her to prove it. Um, and um, it was fun hanging around with her. She taught me some some funny sounding German words like the word Schweiss, Schweiss, which is one of those words that sounds so German. And it actually means sweat, which obviously is a vital word to learn. Um, Schweiss. Um, and um, Doris discovered my podcast and now she might even be listening to this episode. If you are listening to, uh, to this, Doris, then hello. I hope you're doing all right. Um, and I hope you've been enjoying this and other episodes of the podcast. Um, hopefully, I've uh, I've I've converted Doris into being a lepster. Um, so there were lots and lots of funny times at the yoga retreat, which, to be honest, felt a bit like being part of a cult or like we were in some sort of luxurious jail, you know, where we weren't allowed to leave the compound, even though we were. And we were forced to get up very early. It was like being in the army or something, but nice. It was like being in the vegetarian army or something. Um, And actually, I found the yoga to be quite hard, especially for me, because I'm not the most flexible person, particularly my hips. My hips are a total disaster. I'm like the opposite of Shakira, basically, because, you know, Shakira's like hips are like all over the place. And I'm just like, no, these hips will not move. Um... So, yeah, I'm very stiff. And so in some of the situations, all the people around me were busting out these moves. And I was just like, no, can't do that. Can't do that at all. Um, Very stiff and inflexible. For example, sitting cross-legged is really hard for me. My legs are just, they just don't flex like that. So, you know, you're supposed to sit down with your legs crossed and your hands in front of your chest in in the prayer position. 
you know, you're supposed to do that. I can't do that because if I, I, my legs are so inflexible that they push me backwards and I fall over on my back. So, you know, I was there like holding onto my knees, trying not to fall backwards. Uh, My favorite yoga position is just lying on my back, which is a yoga position. It's brilliant. You can just lie down on your back uh, and that's a yoga position. So from now on, I think I'm just going to lie down on my back and for half an hour and that's that's half an hour of yoga. Uh, Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that. There are all these complicated movements and things and it's as I said, it's actually very, very, very good for you, I think. Um, and I was I was basically the only man as well on uh, in the group. Uh, there were a couple of other blokes around, but they weren't part of our program. There was there were a couple of other guys who were the instructors. But in terms of the group, I was the only man, uh, which um, was a little bit embarrassing at times. Uh, all the girls including my wife, I should add, all fell in love with one of the yoga instructors called David uh, because he was amazing uh, and really nice and really good at what he did. Uh, but also uh, they Googled him. They they checked him out on Google and they discovered a few things and then they all fell in love with him. Like, for example, and uh, so they, they found out that he used to be in the Marines. He was in the army in the in the Marines, and he was a Green Beret in the Marines, which is like really impressive. So first of all, he's super tough. He's, he was in the army, and he served in Afghanistan as well. So he's kind of like he's seen combat. He's a combat experienced soldier. And then there's me, the English teaching podcaster, um, comedian guy whose legs won't won't cross over and who falls over backwards when he tries to start doing yoga. And then there's David, the sort of super tough uh, computer game character. And also, the other thing about David, he used to be a firefighter. Just in case all the girls hadn't already fallen in love with him, they then discovered that he used to be a firefighter, which is the one job, I think, that almost all women find irresistible. Firemen. Women love firemen. Uh, I wonder why... I mean, I guess it's because they're physically strong, they're heroic, uh, they rescue people, they save lives, and they do quite a lot of standing around, holding large hoses, blasting jets of foaming white fluid out of them. You know, I don't know if there's something uh, psychological there, but anyway, he David also was a fireman, so they all fell in love with him again. Also, apparently he was a black belt in some obscure Filipino martial art, and he trained with uh, some grandmaster up in the mountains in the Philippines. So it was just ridiculous. This guy was like Superman. Um, and his sessions, particularly the ones involving the core foundation work, they were quite punishing. And when the and while the girls found it to be enriching and inspiring, you know, I personally felt like my ego was slowly being crushed like a grape in front of me. You know, with david the amazing superhuman and then i I was just falling over and you know i just felt like my ego was being crushed which in a way is quite healthy i think you know i do think it's quite healthy and he even david said that not many guys get into yoga in the same way that women do because they find that their ego gets in the way and i did find that to an extent that you know there were certain moments where i felt embarrassed and it stopped me from being able to do it but then i just thought well you know forget that forget the ego stuff just get into it so um i think it was quite healthy to kind of get a bit of uh um sort of what uh perspective on, on stuff like that 
Uh, I think it's sort of healthy to do those things. Um, So all that fitness and yoga twice a day, sweating all the fluid out of my body twice a day, eating nothing but super healthy food, getting up at six each morning and going to bed at about nine o'clock. All that yoga and tons of meditation, I felt amazing afterwards. And I still do. I still feel kind of nice. I'm still floating, essentially. I'm still glowing and floating. Um, Now, in in the meditation... Uh, what you're supposed to do is you're encouraged to focus on things inside you quite deeply. So after you've gone through breathing exercises and you're well into the into the uh, meditation, you are encouraged to focus on three things. And they always ask you to focus on gratitude, forgiveness and guidance. Gratitude, that's like basically saying thank you. Uh, forgiveness, that's asking to be forgiven or forgiving people for something. Uh, And then guidance is like, you know, help, basically looking for help or looking for uh, guidance. Um, So combined with all of the hard fitness work and yoga, which is very sort of humbling and detoxifying, I found that in my meditation sessions, a lot of painful and guilt filled memories also came back to me. So as I said before, while I was flushing out all of the water and toxins from my body, I found I was also flushing out a lot of the bad memories and negative thoughts and feelings that I'd been holding on to without even realising it. They kind of came to the surface and sort of came out. Um, it, It was like all of the bad things were being flushed out of my system. And in fact, in those moments when we were sort of sitting in silence... Um, on a wooden platform in front of the water uh, for, you know, like an hour and a half. Um, In those quiet moments, um, it was actually quite painful at times, not just physically because of my legs, but emotionally as well, because a lot of these sort of weird, bad memories came back. Now, you know what it's like when, for example, you're trying to sleep and you can't sleep and you're lying there and you're just painfully aware of your mind just working and you're just desperately trying to get to sleep but your mind will not rest and it keeps coming up with like all these old memories like these weird painful old memories come back like some awkward moment in a date or something you did where you when you broke up with a girlfriend or something you said to a friend that you don't speak to anymore Um, bad things that you might have done in the past or mistakes you made come back to haunt you in those moments. Well, for me in those meditation sessions, a lot of that kind of stuff came back to me and I had a lot of painful memories and things. Now, I'm not going to tell you about all of the painful memories that came back to me while I was contemplating forgiveness and asking to be forgiven. I'm not going to tell you all that stuff. It's just too personal. But I can share one or two things just to give you an idea all right, uh, of, of how it felt. So I'm going to just share with you, I guess, one painful memory that came to me a few times. And obviously, it was still there, and I hadn't dealt with it. So this is something that goes that, that, that comes from years ago, from when I was in a fairly bad time in my life. It's, it's quite common that most people have these bad moment, bad periods in their lives where for some reason, they feel like things are just out of control or things are not right and you don't know who you are uh, and uh, life seems to be throwing all the bad things at you. Uh, everything seems to be going wrong. I was in one of those times in my life and I was quite young. 
and fairly immature. I hadn't sort of developed maturity that you need to deal with sort of difficulties or or changes and stuff. At this point in my life, I was quite directionless, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know where, where I was going in my life. And also, I wasn't really looking after myself very well. So I wasn't cooking properly or generally looking after myself. And at that time in my life, it felt like I was going through an identity crisis. You know, it was like a period where there was a a, a change from the carefree period in your in your youth where you're still a child, but you've got a sort of adult uh, outlook on life, you know, um, and, you know, you still have the liberties of being a child, essentially, with some of the uh, the the thought processes of an adult. Amazing time in your life. And then you step up to a new level where suddenly you have to take on responsibilities and you don't know quite how to do that. And you, st- you still want to live in the way that you lived before, but you've got to live with these responsibilities. And it can kind of be difficult a difficult period to, to deal with. And it sort of di- leads to a sort of an identity crisis. Lots of people go through that. So this happened at, at that period in my life. And it just turned out that I was full of awkwardness. I just wasn't at ease. I didn't. I wasn't happy with myself, and so I felt very awkward in lots of different positions. And uh, I wasn't in a good place personally. I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I remember at this time, I got a new job, and I was working all day, every day in this job. And I was working with new people I didn't know in a new environment, and uh, it just seemed that every single day was ex- was filled with nothing but uncomfortable, embarrassing and awkward situations. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had that sort of thing where you have an experience where nothing seems to click with anyone? You seem to be the one who gets everything wrong. Every every little bit of communication you have with people seems to be awkward and embarrassing and you just sort of make a fool of yourself. Everyone doesn't, no one really understands who you are. You know, some situations you, you meet a group of people and you click with everyone. And you just get get on with everyone and you become a really good group and you're like a gang of friends and that's it, you're friends forever. And then in other situations, no one in the group clicks and no one seems to understand who you are or where you're coming from. So it was like that in this new job that I was doing. Every day, just awkward encounters. For example, I'd arrive at the place and the first person I spoke to would be like a weird conversation with tension and I wouldn't know why. And, uh, you know, all that, all the time. It was horrible. It was like really depressing. Just crushing social awkwardness in which I just came across to everybody as really weird and and unable to function normally. I think a lot of people must have thought that I was odd because of my slightly strange behaviour. Either that or I was just paranoid imagining everything. I couldn't tell. It was just a not, not a nice experience and I felt totally out of it. And in fact, looking back on it, I was obviously depressed at that time in my life. Um, now, uh, at the, this job where I didn't get on with people, there was just one guy who I got on with quite well. So there's just one other person who I got on with. And he's, he wasn't the sort of person that I imagined I would be friends with, you see. So he was older than me. He was quite shy, but he had quite a dark sense of humour. So we got on all right. And we were basically like work buddies. Um... So I was doing that job just to get by. I needed the money, but I hated doing the work. Uh, I was playing music in a band in the evenings. We were playing gigs in town, uh, trying to make it. We were recording a demo with the band and working on 
working on the music and then I was working during the day in this place. Uh, but I, I wasn't enjoying the band either. There were lots of personal problems in the band, musical differences and all that sort of stuff. Plus, I couldn't sleep at nights. Horrible time. I, I was just invaded by weird negativity all the time. Now, thank goodness I'm now in a much, much better place these days. Um, now that I've, I know you know who I am and I've got a lot of, lot more things going on I'm much more comfortable with uh with with myself and the things I'm doing uh but in those days oh no completely out of touch with everything um so I'm I'm much better these days although sometimes that kind of feeling does come back as I'm sure that you can relate to you you, you might have had bad experiences that sometimes come back and things like that now a, a lot of these feelings a lot of those difficult feelings that I remembered and that whole emotional space, for some reason, came back to me while I was sitting there on the beach, searching for forgiveness from the universe. And in the end, um, I remember going back to that time when I felt bad. In the end, then, I just I was really fed up. I decided to quit the band and basically start again. I left the place where I was living and I went back to live with my parents uh, and that felt bad. It felt a bit like a failure, like I'd tried to do something and I'd failed and I'd come back home. So um, I remember, though, when I left the job, some of the people at the job who I had never sure if I'd really got on with them or not, but some of those people organised a little leaving drink for me on the day uh, that I left, okay? In fact, the drink was to take place the day after I left, which is normal in jobs in the UK. If you've worked there for a while, when you leave, usually people get together and they organise you a leaving drink and people buy you drinks and stuff like that. So some of the people organised a little leaving drink for me the day after I left. And basically, the people who were going to go to the drink were the only the only people I kind of got on with and spoke to while I was there, uh, including that guy that I told you about who I got on with. Um, and, and I left them on my last day. I left the job saying to them, so, all right, see you tomorrow evening at the pub. That's the last thing I said to them. And I, walk, I walked out of the workplace with this amazing sense of relief. It's like the, uh, the weight of the world had come off my shoulders and leaving the place somehow was symbolic of the fact that I was leaving my troubles behind. Um, and, and for some reason, the next day, I just didn't want to go out. I didn't want to leave the house. I, the drink you know, the work drink with all the people who'd organised it was happening, but I didn't go. I chose not to go. I I basically stood everybody up. Um, Do you know that expression, to stand someone up, means to, uh, when you don't come to a planned meeting, for example, a date, if you've arranged a date and you said, I'll meet you outside the cinema at eight o'clock and she's waiting outside the cinema at eight and you don't go, you stand her up to stand someone up. So I basically stood everyone up at my own leaving drink. Now, these these are the things that were coming back to me while I was sitting there meditating. And it might not feel like a big deal to you now. In fact, it's not when you think about it, it's not that bad. It's not that serious. We've all we all do things like that. We all do that sort of thing, don't we? Where we you know, you might lie about why you haven't come out or you might not go out even when there's a party and you're invited. You know, these little details, like someone's invited you to a party and you say you're going to go and then you don't go and you either you give a bad excuse by text or you just don't give an excuse at all. 
And, you know, it's a kind of a shitty thing to do. But we all do that sort of thing. But for some reason, this particular case came back to me quite strong. It hit me quite quite hard. I don't know why. Obviously, I've got some issues relating from that period. But um, um, so, you know, we all do these crappy things like ignoring a friend, you know, who's messaging you for some reason, dumping a girl by text message, you know, bad things. But anyway, for some reason, this memory just kept coming back to me and um, and it just really bothers me. And I remember it really bothered me then. It seems sort of weird to let it bother you so much. But when you're digging deep into your past and stuff and trying to find forgiveness, it's weird how uh, strong the emotions return. Uh, so the worst thing that I feel is that about the guy that I met and made a friendship with. I just ima- I just feel really bad uh, and guilty because I imagine them all sitting there waiting for me to arrive, particularly him, and then me just not coming, just no nothing and no text message or anything to explain why I wasn't there, just not coming, just blanking everyone. Uh, so I feel bad about that and that's what I was asking for forgiveness for. I was asking for forgiveness for that and a few other things too, which I won't mention because they're too personal. Um so it's interesting that in these meditation sessions you do ask for forgiveness. Now I don't know if simply asking the universe to be forgiven is going to result in me feeling forgiven. I mean I do feel a lot better about it. I'm willing to talk about it now. And um you know I'm willing to admit I feel bad about it. Um uh, even though it's not even it's not that big a deal, but um I wonder if asking for forgiveness forgiveness from the universe means that you will actually be forgiven and asking for gratitude asking for guidance when you meditate you know let's say you know i'm trying to work my way through a difficult period of my life and i'm looking for guidance uh is does that mean guidance is going to come who's going to give it to you i don't know I, i i wonder how much these things help i think it helps a bit but um i don't know i'm a little bit skeptical about just sort of asking questions to the universe or things like that. I just don't know how that really works. Um, But anyway, overall, doing all that yoga stuff was, it was a really good experience to flush out all the negative things, all the physical and emotional negative stuff. And I do feel pretty refreshed as a result. So it feels great. And I, I I think that holidays are best when you actually have something to do, which takes you out of yourself. So going on this yoga retreat was actually a really good way of doing that. It helps you to deal with your past, enjoy the present and prepare for the future too. Um, So um, I wonder if you can think about something that you're grateful for, something that you'd like to be forgiven for, or or someone you'd like to forgive. Maybe there's someone who did something to you and you'd like to forgive them. Uh, Can you think of something like that? And also... I wonder if you can think of something that you'd like guidance for as well. So express thanks and and gratefulness, express a desire to be forgiven and express uh, a need for guidance. And it's it's worth thinking about those things because it allows your brain to just sort of deal with things, let things go and look to the future. It actually kind of puts things into place for you. Uh, It's very nice. So... um, I'm now back in Paris, of course. It's now September, the beginning of September. In Paris, they, in France, they call it La Rentrée, 
which is like uh, kind of starting again, essentially. So everything's starting again. All the kids are going back to school. People are starting their normal working routines again. It's it's a time to kind of make things happen. It's a time to do things. Um, I'm going to go back to work at the British Council uh, soon, uh, in just over a week. And also, I'm going to get back into my online work. Um, I've got lots of things to do in terms of my work online. Also, I think I'm going to launch a new competition of this podcast. So stay tuned for that. There'll be some new episodes coming up over the next few weeks. Um, And I'm thinking about a competition. I did mention one in a recent episode. uh, And I got absolutely no response to the thing I said about that. Do you remember I mentioned that I was going to do a new uh, competition involving anecdotes? No one mentioned that. I wonder if that means that you're not up for it. But let me know. What do you think? Would you be up for that? A little anecdote competition? It could be, for example, well, I I would ask you to send in anecdotes, little stories that you have about yourself. Uh, let's say maximum of about four or five minutes. And then I'd play all the anecdotes and then listeners would choose the one they'd like the most. And then, I don't know, there could be a prize, perhaps. What do you think about that? Does that, does that sound interesting? Let me know. Um, Right. Now, I also promised um, at the beginning of the episode that I would give you some mouse news. Remember that? Um, In uh, the episode before last, uh, I told you a quick story about how I nearly caught a mouse in a mouse trap in our apartment, but it escaped even though its back legs weren't working. So I'd set the trap, uh, I checked the trap, and I noticed that I caught a mouse, but I caught it by its tail. And I tried to grab the mouse, but it was still alive and it was wriggling around and and squeaking. It was really weird. I tried to grab it, uh, but somehow the mouse managed to get free from the trap and then it ran away, even though its back legs were not working. So it was a weird moment. And I was worried that when we went on holiday that the mouse would have crawled somewhere and because its back legs weren't working that it would like you know get stuck and that it would then die somewhere in the in the apartment and that when we returned from a holiday that it would smell that there would be like a dead mouse smell i didn't tell my wife because she doesn't need to know about this mouse encounter although to be honest listeners it's been pretty close because i because sometimes she listens to the podcast and sometimes she checks out the facebook page for the podcast and she reads comments there and there are a few comments under a recent episode about oh you know you've got to tell your wife about the mouse and stuff like that she was looking at the facebook page she nearly saw those comments i was like oh god i hope she doesn't see them because if she sees those then she'll be freaked out basically because she doesn't like mice so anyway i thought that when we came back from holiday that there might be like a weird dead mouse smell in the apartment um so uh and uh, but thankfully, when we returned, and we I turned the key in the lock and opened the door, and we were greeted by the smell of our apartment. You know, like two and a half weeks of uh, no one being in it. We were greeted by the smell. I was like <sniffs> having a sniff. Thankfully, the flat smelled fine, and in fact, it smelled quite nice because we've got lots of plants in the apartment. We've been filling the place up with plants, like oxygen-giving plants, like aloe vera and. Uh, stuff like uh, Japanese peace lily and things like that. So weirdly, the flat smelt pretty good because it was kind of oxygenated by these lovely green plants and it didn't smell bad. It smelt nice. So uh, despite uh, wanting to kill the mouse in the first place, I'm actually quite glad that that mouse apparently is still alive and has crawled away somewhere else. 
I wonder if the mouse has learned from its mistake or not. Uh, perhaps I will get it next time around. So that's it for this episode, ladies and gents. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to join the mailing list um, by entering your email address on the website. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or other podcasting software. Uh, watch out for news of, of this new competition I'm going to launch. And as ever, let me know what you're thinking and practice your English a bit by leaving a comment on the website. Uh, before we go, I would just like to say thank you to a few people. And maybe I can have some background music again while I'm doing that. So this is my chance to say thank you to some people. Okay? So I'd like to say thank you to people who have left me comments uh, on the website following few recent episodes, particularly uh, the latest annual general meeting episode in which I asked lots of questions. There were like loads of questions in that episode and I wanted uh, responses from you. Uh, So if you wrote your responses, thank you very much for your answers. It all helps me to get an idea of what you're thinking and how I can adapt my episode slightly to your preferences and things like that. So communication between you and me is important, especially when I ask you specific questions because it just helps uh, helps me to make the podcast better for you. Um, I'd like to thank people who I have met in person recently. Uh, Lepsters who I've met in person and who've spoken to me personally about the podcast. So thank you very much for your comments and words and things. You know who you are, people I've met. Uh, thank you very much for your comments and it was it's it was been it has been and it was really nice to meet you all. I would like to thank also people who've made donations to Luke's English podcast. Um, so if you have made a donation to this podcast, either through PayPal or by finding my Uh, bank details on my website Uh, thank you so much you're now a Luke's English Podcast stakeholder Uh, you're a Luke's English Podcast patron and I appreciate it very much indeed thank you you're like a philanthropist or something for sending me that uh, contribution Uh, people who donate in fact donations are the lifeblood of Luke's English Podcast and um, you help to keep the whole show on the road basically so thank you very much for doing that um I would like to also uh, say hello to those people who are working on the Transcript Collaboration Project, um, which is being led by Antonio from Spain. Um, He's got a team of people working on producing transcripts of episodes, and they are working very well indeed, and it looks like a successful project. Um, If you are thinking about transcribing episodes, then let me encourage you to do it, all right? Uh, Now, you might be a little overwhelmed. You might think, well, I can't transcribe a whole episode. That's too much. Don't worry. You don't have to. All you need to do is transcribe a few minutes, and it won't take you that long. Uh, The way it works is that the, the transcript collaboration team will choose an episode to transcribe, and then it will be divided up into five minute chunks. And you just focus on transcribing your five-minute bit. For example, it will be zero to five minutes, five minutes to ten minutes, ten minutes to fifteen minutes, and so on. These are all the chunks. And the chunks are divided and separated between members of the team. And each member then transcribes their section. And then all the sections are put together in a shared Google document. And then, bingo, before you know it, you've got a transcription. Um... What happens next is that I have to then look at that transcription and edit out any errors and proofread it. Now, that's the tricky thing. 
That means I've got loads of work to do on transcript uh, proofreading, and there is an ever-growing list of completed transcripts that just need a little bit of tweaking. Uh, you can find those things by going to the transcript collaboration page on my website and checking out the Google Documents. Um, so only five minutes. That's the best way of doing it. You're breaking it down into bits, uh, which is much easier to manage. And if you, you spend some time transcribing your five-minute section, uh, and what people are saying, that those people who've been working on the transcripts, what they're saying is that they've discovered that doing that regularly is an amazing way of uncovering the things that they hadn't really noticed before. So it improves their listening massively because they suddenly realise they can understand everything a lot more clearly, especially those episodes that involve other people. And so listening and focusing your attention on little sections can actually help you to understand everything a lot more clearly. And also vocabulary, grammar, uh, pronunciation things, all these different insights can come from focusing very specifically on just a five-minute section of an episode. So well done for, for keeping up the transcript collaboration. You're being very productive if you're doing that. Thank you. Those of you who've never checked it out, it might be worth going onto the website and having a little look there. Um, and finally, I would like to thank those of you who use uh, my URL codes when signing up um, with companies like italki and Audible, all right? So, you know, I've got uh, teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk for italki and then audibletrial.com forward slash teacherluke uh, for uh, Audible. So thank you very much if you have uh, checked out those different services. Now, whenever someone does go onto one of those um, pages, uh, I get a small kickback and it all helps to keep the podcast alive. And also it helps to convince people around me, like, you know, members of my family and stuff. When I get kickbacks and when I get donations, that actually helps to convince my friends and family that everything I'm doing with this podcast is worth it. Because I've been doing this for over seven years now, and people who are close to me look at me and they're like, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? You know, the way we, we look after each other, uh, our close people, like friends and family, we kind of look out for each other. And people, you know, say, what are you doing? Where? What about your time that you're spending on the podcast? Is it worth it? And so... Uh, you know, we all know that I could be spending my time doing more private English lessons or doing more teaching at university or maybe pursuing a management position in, 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 a, in a school or something. But I think that both you and I would rather I produced episodes of this podcast, right? Instead of focusing my attention somewhere else. I hope so. Well, if that is the case, then donations and sponsors allow me to do that. Uh, sponsors in particular uh, basically give me the right to continue doing this. So, you know, I understand that in every episode, sometimes I mention my sponsors. And while on one hand, that's very good for you, because I think those services can be really beneficial to you. On the other hand, you might hear those mentions again and again. Uh, but you know, you have to understand that those things are a necessary part of this whole thing. And it allows me to keep doing it. And if, if I didn't have those forms of support, it would frankly be hard to justify to myself and to my family that I spend so much time doing this podcast. Um, now, I still plan to make more of a career 
uh, out of this for me with the aim of doing just online content creation as my full-time job. And that's a work in progress. I know I've been saying that for years and it's way overdue. So watch this space for more content which can help you to improve your English in new and improved ways in the future. It won't just be the podcast in the future. Hopefully it'll be other things like different courses, uh, like like professionally put together video courses with downloadable worksheets, which I uh, hope to be able to offer on my website soon. That's the plan. Okay, then. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. Uh, Leave your comments and stuff, and I will look forward to reading them. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.